Hello and a very warm welcome to About the Adventure with your host Sarah Lister. This episode features an interview with my good friend John Hyde, who I've known since growing up in Norfolk. He shares why he started his craft, how he started up his leather goods business, and how earlier aspects of his life and career have played a part. He also talks about his love of nature, learning about geography, and why he decided to move to Sheffield from Brighton. He also touches on some of the challenges that he has faced throughout his life. Please note that he briefly talks about death and grief. We recorded this interview while sitting on a hillside of Kinder Scout, basking in the winter sun and looking out towards the Hope Valley. I hope that you can imagine that you're there with us. Why did you start making things with leather? Yeah, so I was I was living in Portugal at the time, about six years ago, and I had a lot of free time. I'm a photographer uh, still, um, and I I really wanted this these particular camera straps that I found online, and they were really expensive. And I I happened to live on the street that sold leather in in Porto, the city I used to live in. Every street had a different trade, and so. I lived on the leather street and also the cake decorating street. I don't know why. There was also like a plumbing street and a, a stone street. And so all these shops were near me and I was learning Portuguese and I just thought, you know, it would be the same amount of money to buy the leather and some tools than buying the straps. So I tried to do it myself. And that is that is where it started, really. It was just a bit of fun. And I made all my presents for family, friends and family that Christmas as a surprise to them and me really and I, I just loved the reaction of someone receiving something that I'd made that I continued and there we are still doing it. And do you have some kind of ability to just be able to have an idea and pick up a new craft? I know you're creative in quite a few different ways. I know some people maybe feel fearful or overwhelmed or it's quite a vulnerable place sometimes to be when you don't know how to do something Mm -hmm. and not being good at it yet so how do you get through that is it a challenge for you I think it's it's more instinctual so like like many people I suppose you spend your late teens early 20s trying to figure out what you're good at what you want to do maybe you go to uni like I did to study a thing that you think you want to do for the rest of your life mine was architecture and I realized I didn't want to be an architect but I did love designing and I was impatient, so I couldn't imagine the idea of waiting years or a month to see a project to fruition. But if that's why I love photography and still do, because I can, it's just instant snapshots in time. And so the product, the product is, is done. So I knew when I, when I'd, che- I'd left my job, um, then when I moved to Portugal, and I knew that I didn't want to be on a computer as much as I had been. I didn't want to do deal with customer service like I had been, all that sort of stuff. And I wanted to make something with my hands. And at the time, it just felt like, oh, I've gone on this 10-year roundabout journey to finally get to what I should be doing. And to be honest, if it isn't leather, it would probably be something else. I just love um, creating things. I don't think I'm a particularly good designer as such. Um, I don't think I'm very innovative or that, you know, I'm not full of ideas and always making new stuff. But I I just love the daily task of, of making something, whatever that might be. How did you actually learn how to do it? Was it a case of just getting the equipment together and trying? Or did you use any resources? Yeah, oh, it was so fun when I think back on it. And I'm I'm really jealous of people, anyone starting a new craft and, and learning. 
I probably should have just enrolled in a course or asked for help, but I'm stubborn and I'm shy and a bit solitary. And so I, and plus I was living in another country where I couldn't speak the language fluently. And I didn't, so I didn't really know how to go about that. So I just learned online. I watched a lot of YouTube videos. And because it wasn't for anyone apart from me, it was just a bit of fun. The stuff I made was awful, like really, really bad. And I was making so many mistakes using like instead of, for example, when you uh, set a rivet, you know, there are tools for that. I didn't really know that. So I was just using a normal hammer on my like the little bit of marble I had in the kitchen. And so I didn't have a workshop and just making an absolute racket. And I didn't have things like a stamp for the leather for my, I didn't have a logo. So I just used the end of a Phillips screwdriver to press little letters and spell out my surname. And it was just trial and error. So I'd be, I didn't know what I was doing. I was buying leather that was three, four times as thick as it should have been for a wallet. And then spending hours trying to thin it down when I should have just bought thinner leather. But it was really fun. It was fun because I didn't know what I was saying in Portuguese. I'd be ordering things thinking I was getting something in to paying for something else and I, I'm an awful customer so I will say thank you and smile and then leave with something I don't want um, <laughs> but I slowly like made friends and there was this this one shop I really loved in the city that I'd get things from and I just yeah learned by mistakes um, and thankfully I wasn't selling anything so it didn't matter that they were bad at, at the beginning <laughs> yeah do you think that it requires a certain level of patience like what does it look like when you get things wrong or you ruin something yeah I mean every material is is different when you make mistakes I think what I like about leather is you it's not it's not ruined I mean for something if you're a total perfectionist or if you're making really high-end leather goods that are selling for thousands of pounds and a little scuff is much more noticeable but I've never set myself up to be that kind of maker where a little nick or a little bit of grain or a scratch ruins a piece so for me making mistakes or at the beginning was just kind of fun it was more painful because at the beginning I was using cheap tools blunt tools and I didn't know how to hold them so I'd be always injuring myself whether it be a needle like a needle under the nail or just like (laughs) slipping with a knife and then you can't work for a few days because you've cut yourself but um Again, if I'd have done a course, if I'd just done like a two-day course or something, I probably would have saved a lot of money on plasters and uh, and just a lot less mistakes. But it was fun. And how long ago are we talking here? When did you... That was um, six years ago. Yeah, 2015 I started. Roughly this sort of time, so November, December. And how long did it take you to get to a point where you decided to start selling your products? Probably about six months. I'm trying to think about the time scales. I think after I'd given a few presents out at Christmas and then and then I think I made an Instagram probably because I wasn't really using Instagram at all at that time of that time of life or whatever. And because I'm a photographer too, I, I really enjoy taking pictures of, of the work. And then at, at that point, fit, like having 50 followers or whatever was all just my friends. And so word of mouth was quite quick. And then friend would order a belt and I think what you've just you've ordered a belt for me you don't just want it for free oh my god you're gonna give me some money 20 pounds for a belt amazing so pretty soon I started an Etsy shop which is just a really easy really accessible way for anybody to sell their work the commission's not too high you 
they, the format's really easy, the templates are great, you just take some pictures. I mean, to be honest, it can be really simple, just pictures on your phone and a little blurb, and that worked quite well. And then immediately you have a, a global audience who can buy your things. So that's how, that's how it started, just a little Etsy shop, and or cash in hand, you know, that kind of thing. And have you had people buying from all over the world, or has it been more yeah. local? So it's always funny when you look back on the... Um, the journey of a, of a small business and the way you used to do things so at the beginning I had this silly little thing on my computer I had like the google map and then I would every time I got an order from somewhere outside of Portugal or the UK I like put a pin in the map so I thought oh one day I can look at this and it'll be like oh there's pins all over the place and at the beginning I was like what I've just I mean the very first one that wasn't out wasn't Europe was a customer in the Caribbean who was already knew my work from being a photographer so that was a lovely little link to go from that to then that he supported my work there and then when I put that pin in Trinidad and Tobago I was like whoa I've got a customer halfway across well across the Atlantic and then someone in Malaysia and now I haven't got that map thing anymore but it's yeah every not every country because there are some that I haven't shipped to but um yeah most of the world it's amazing and I still really flattered that some parts of the world especially that got really really prolific leather crafts people that they would choose little old me in England over them yeah but it's it's mostly Europe my my customers what's the process you go through from designing to selling each of your products yeah so I every product I I sell I first used or I designed it because I wanted that thing so there's there's nothing really that I sell now that that I wouldn't use myself and I'm not that's sometimes a tagline that people say as if it's a selling point it's an honest I just I wouldn't I wouldn't want to photograph it work with it make it if I thought it was a, a pointless object or just a bit frivolous so initially I'll, I'll think oh I I like that wallet I've been using but I wish it had a bit more room for cards or currently I like carrying cash for example so I would I maybe would tweak a design and then I'd use it for a few months make sure it works properly and it's the seams are you know that they're strong enough and it ages well and then I'll launch it you know then I'll make it in the different color shades I'll photograph it properly and then put it online and some things I'll keep up for years even though they don't sell very well because I just really love the design and I think hopefully if I sell a couple a year that they'll go down well but I think that's just part of the evolution of of having a business like this you do need to let some things go which I will soon I think I probably have a few too many products and need a more of a core collection but I also really like the variety of doing many different things because I you know I could just do wallets or it could just be belts or it could be dog collars and leads but I really like having a variety of products to to offer and to make keep things interesting. I think it's interesting from a person who doesn't know what it's like to run a sort of product driven business in terms of like do you design it on paper as such and then and then start to sort of play with the design of it by cutting out the leather and Mm. things yeah funny i i haven't sketched out a design in well over a year maybe two years like at the beginning sketchbooks full of designs because i think i was trying to figure out how this material moves how does it work how does it fold now i i have a a knowledge of it and i stick with one particular material now one specific leather so i know i know it and and i don't ever sketch things out now um 
and I used to, and I've never used a computer to um, do like a proper template that's actually symmetrical. I'd buy squared paper, do my sketch. Well, I'd initially do sketches on just like paper or whatever, and then I'd use squared paper to scale, and I'd design a lot of my stuff is symmetrical, so I'd design like half of it and then fold the paper in half. If that makes sense. So then I know it's symmetrical. Then I'd cut that out, trace it onto like a bit of perspex. And then that becomes my template that I draw around. And then sometimes I'll make, if it's a more, if it's something like a new bag, like I designed a new a new type of bag, I made that first out of a cheap, a cheap leather to make sure that it works. And that's the bag I now use. And ironically that people comment on most, even though that's not the leather I use anymore. And so that's, that's sort of the process I go through now. I haven't sketched in a while and actually that's, Kind of, I'm kind of a little bit sad about that because I do really miss the, the, the exploration of, of new designs. But I think that can be a blessing and a curse of Instagram, for example. There are, the more you look, the more you see and realise it's very, very hard to be original. And maybe I would, I'd be designing things for weeks back at the beginning of when I worked with leather. I'd get really excited about an idea and then I'd see a picture online and I realise, oh, someone has already done that. And then you could you know many people do still continue with that train of thought and make it and i just couldn't be so you'd have to take a few days away and be like oh damn good on you 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 did it that's really beautiful i wish i'd come up with that or you tweak it in a way that's unique to you You, then you and then actually that can be really exciting because you've you've adapted and then you did better than you thought you would and then the end result you're much more proud of and so what things i offer now i know I've, i've done a lot of research i've looked as much as possible and I know I'm not copying somebody. They might be similar, but I'm, it's a, not a copy. Um, and people ask every now and then for templates. And if I had like a, you know, a PDF or yeah, a digital file to send someone, I would, because I'm not, I'm not possessive over them. But I, it's literally just a piece of perspex on a wall. Like I can't send that to you. But I think I'm also really transparent with my designs, and they're quite easy to copy if you want to. It doesn't take much. <laughs> I was just pulling a stupid face. Then. <laughs> You're turning your nose up at yourself. I turned my nose about my own words. Yeah, I did. No, I just think because the thing is, that you're in it, aren't you? You're doing. You're doing yeah. this. This is like your life, and sometimes. I think um, it's maybe hard to imagine why people might find that interesting, but for people like me, you know, I'm not right. um, I'm not a crafts person, so I find all of the behind the scenes mm-hmm. stuff really interesting. Which is a good reminder because I know I don't do that very often in terms of I, I try to, but I am quite meticulous about how I photograph my work, and the 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 actual reality of my studio is quite ugly. It's fluorescent lights. It's opposite a massive brick wall. It's quite dark. And it's hard to photograph that space well. And so I'd like to do more videos and photography of the process and, and talk. But m- many people like myself who, who work on their own or make things, they're not, they're not skilled at talking to camera. That's not, their, that's not their passion. So I forget that people have that interest. I hear myself talk about it and it seems incredibly dull <laughs> because it's just what I do every day. And it's not, I'm not a kite surfer or anything like that. I don't know why I just suddenly thought that. Maybe I do miss the ocean. But yeah, no, it's it's good to hear your questions because it makes me think, it reinvigorates why I do what I do. Yeah, I think it's fascinating because I think partly because I don't, not that I've particularly tried, but I, I feel like I don't quite have the patience huh. to sit with something. And I mean, obviously, like there's other ways of doing that. It doesn't have to be something crafty, but I think with craft in particular, I feel like I have an interest in it, even though I don't necessarily want to do it myself. Mm. I, I think it's it's really amazing how people can 
develop their craft over a long period of time um, and how that just sort of happens kind of organically for the person. Yeah, and you, it's a bit like, I don't know if you remember, we, me and Sarah went to the same school. And I'm sure every school did it, but there was this thing that before you went to, like, before you left in year 11, whatever, you had to do, like, a questionnaire thing to find out what what are you going to do the rest of your life? <laughs> so you'd answer questions, and based on that, it would say, you're going to be a civil servant, you're going to be a truck driver, you're going to be this. And I think mine was just vaguely the arts, maybe creative, maybe... It might have actually pinpointed quite close to what I should be doing. But I also loved geology, for example, so I really thought I was going to do that. I'm going on a massive tangent. I think it's because we're overlooking Edel Valley and I'm just looking at the, the edge. It's absolutely stunning. No, this so is great. Very distracted. Um, but my point was... Yeah, that um, it comes naturally to me. And, it, of course, if I told myself at 18, oh, don't go to uni to study architecture. That's going to be a waste of money and time. You should be making something. You should be doing this thing. But maybe I, maybe I wouldn't be doing... Uh, if I'd have studied or if I'd studied photography at uni or not gone to uni my path would have gone somewhere different but I really can't see how it could have gone dramatically different to the point where I'm in a suit and tie I'm an estate agent or or working in the city and and enjoying that like I think at some point it would have I would have broken maybe I would have been 40 or 50 and be like oh my god why have I'm doing this it's not it's just not right for everybody and this suits me and of course, now I think about my parents and who, what their personality is like. It makes even more sense. But when you're a kid and a teenager, you, you don't want to, you don't want to hear your parents. You don't want to think I'm anything like them because for whatever reason you're trying to, you think you're alone in the world, and you're the bee's knees. Um, but I mean, my dad made kitchens. He he worked mostly by himself from a workshop with a raw material. It's really similar to what I do now and. It must have infused me a little bit, that that influence growing up. But I also don't think this is going to be what I do forever. I'm, you know, I love it, but it's not it's fixed. Mm, so you're open to change still? Yeah, and I think you kind of have to be, because um, the world is changing every, every month, every week at the moment. Um, whether it be you literally can't use that raw material anymore, or you're not interested in design, or maybe I think I'd really like to work with stone, or I want to do stained glass, but... I think whatever it will be in the future will be making or it will be or the or I just literally go on strike from making things and I just somehow managed to earn a living from walking and <laughs> being out in the national park. That would be ideal or half and half. Yeah. How do you manage everything and do you have any help with any parts of the business? I only have emotional help. <laughs> <laughs> from my partner um no I don't I've never wanted to be so busy that I need an employee and I've tried to like do a little bit of training with Ro and my partner for example like at really busy times maybe you can help me do this certain thing but then I find it stresses me out more than anything it doesn't save me time and to be honest I'm never so busy that an extra pair of hands will make things go quicker I'd be then worried about quality control or or mistakes and I I genuinely like knowing that everything I post out, my two hands made. Um, the only thing I would want help with is I'd like an accountant. I would like somebody to just collect all my posts and go to the post office. But then I'd feel a bit, I have this weird awkwardness about servitude and I wouldn't, I wouldn't want somebody helping me in that way because I feel like, who am I to get 
help with that like just just walk to the post office it's easy but it would actually be a lot less stress to have to deal with um bureaucracy and the internet um and just things going missing i hate it stuff like that but um but also i think it's really important for customers to know when you contact me it's just me and you and it's a lot of people still don't but i try to make it really obvious it's just one person so you don't have to go through a network of stuff it makes it also easier if there's been an inquiry maybe two years ago and then that person comes back i remember their name that would probably wouldn't happen otherwise so no i don't have any help and um that's okay i don't think i need it just yet and what lifestyle does this work facilitate for you I feel yeah this this last two years especially when you see so many people around the world whose lives are falling apart and they're losing their jobs and they're having to change things I feel increasingly lucky and privileged that my work enables my lifestyle to to improve so I earn just enough money to be able to to do the things I like to do which is walking and being out in nature um it's a quiet like I say patient way of working that facilitates that and it's never so stressful that it consumes me it doesn't really go home with me because before that my work would always go home with me whether it be literally phone calls and emails or it be the stress of that shift that you did or having nightmares about I used to have nightmares all the time about I worked in a cinema and I'd be managing it and I'd be the projectionist and I'd have so many nightmares about events going wrong or I'm just going to start a film and then the film doesn't exist on the server and then the whole audience looks back through the porthole and they're looking at me like, why is the film not starting? Stupid, stupid nightmares. Um, And (laughs) I don't have any of that work anxiety anymore. A tiny bit around Christmas time, just because you're busier. But I've got to that balance now, six years in, where I just say no a lot and I could definitely make more money and be a more noticeable brand you know online all that if i want to really push it but i'd I'd find that so stressful and since the the shift of six years ago which is almost the late 20s moment that people talk about when your life changes it was this reckoning of i realizing i have a very very finite reserve of like of, of stress i can take and it's probably a lot lower than other people so i don't work well in high high energy environments big teams deadlines um all that sort of stuff it just does my head in and um i've really gone off i don't know where i can't even remember what your question was <coughs> no, this, is just, great. this is just a, a monologue looking over the hills again but oh it's no, about balance yeah and about yeah. lifestyle like, lifestyle yeah what so, lifestyle is this facilitating for you yeah and i'm sure we'll get to the the change this year moving here and everything but it was it was about that too and being honest with myself what rather than what makes you happy or what doesn't make you happy it's just quite an instant an instinctual i don't know how to describe it but I'm, I'm just really lucky that i even have the ability to make those decisions that i don't have dependence i'm not in debt i i can afford my rent and my food you know that kind of stuff so i can i can make the decision to have a better way of life i'm really lucky but i've also worked really hard to make my business turn a profit so i so I can do those things. So it's not like they're interlinked. And sometimes I think I can be really, I don't know what the word is, but just like as if it all fell in my lap. And it's part, it's half and half. Mm. Like I think I was already set up in life to do to do, to do okay. And I need to recognise that. But also I did properly graft at the beginning and make a loss for a while. 
until you're known a little bit. Um, but I'm now at that point where I've, I'm plateauing, which is nice because we are <laughs> halfway up Kinder Plateau. Um, <laughs> and I'm really, really happy at that point. I don't need to go any busier. And the, to be honest, if I did, if I earned twice as much money, I'd probably then just, you spend it, don't you, on things that you don't need. And I'm, I'm fine right now with, what, with how it's going. Laying in the heather. Laying in the heather. <laughs> Sunbathing. <laughs> gorgeous. We've brought so many layers between us and we're basically not wearing many of them. <laughs> no, my bag is full of un- <laughs> unnecessary layers. <laughs> Which is surprising in December. Halfway up. Oh my God, it's so, be- it's so beautiful. I wish this was a video. So still. Yeah, that's the next stage for the podcast is to <laughs> become a video as well. Yeah. A YouTube channel. <laughs> so... How did you arrive at this point where you feel kind of comfortable with how much you're earning? Like, What steps did you take? Did you carry on working for the cinema for a while hmm. until you built up the business? Yes, yeah, so it's only been full time for three years. So I probably should have mentioned that. It's not like from the very beginning. That was my only income. I was working for a film festival in Portugal. So that was a little bit of money, but also so ridiculously cheap at the time that I moved to Portugal. Um, compared to England so I was laughing it was just amazing Um, and then when I moved back I rejoined the cinema that I had left under duress (laughs) like I hate this place I'm not going to work here again and then please can I have my job back (laughs) Um, or part of my job back and a few other little odd jobs and I still made a tiny bit of money from photography every now and then but just enough to trickle by but it was quite a it was a big decision to move back because I knew my my outgoings are more than tripling based on how much how much more expensive it was to live here so I need to take this business seriously really push it and so the first year moving back to the UK was a bit a bit tough and I was um just not really having any treats you know it was just like grafting again but it was great and then now it's now I understand the cycle of my income it's kind of the same every year there are certain seasons that are busier than others and so generally I rely on the Christmas gifting season to sort of line the pockets a bit for the rest of the year and I know that's not a given so I don't like I don't spend it all in January (laughs) and then Father's Day is kind of busy as well which is weird because I don't I don't actively market myself to to men or women or to dads especially you know I don't think oh but that's just what happens um so it's just kind of happened naturally and I've never got carried away and I I make sure I don't get into too much debt. So I, I could have, for example, taken out a loan and got loads of really good equipment and done a big marketing spree. But it kind of just turns my stomach a little bit when I think about that way of doing things because it doesn't feel right for me. It's fine. No shade on other people that do it. But I just I don't enjoy marketing and spending money forcing. I shouldn't use that word. Um, <laughs> it's fine if you do. But I don't enjoy um, artificially pushing my work out there to an audience that I don't know it's a, it's a weird old thing that isn't it because we all receive sponsored ads and see things we don't want to see but every now and then you're like oh I have that's just cropped up on my on my phone I love that thing thank you for paying for me to see it um so you know what I'm, I'm sure I've had some business through stuff like that but um back to your question no it's a mixed bag isn't it it's, it's a mixed bag. <clears throat> yeah and it's not yeah, I suppose it's just managing how you what you feel comfortable doing and not sort yeah. of selling yourself to the... And some people don't really have a, a choice. You know, if they're starting out, 
and they need to make a profit really quickly, mm. then it makes perfect sense to to invest a bit, a bit of money in that to give yourself a boost, get yourself out there. But I would often find that it was just, especially if it's these big monolithic companies that own everything, I don't trust that using my money, even if it's a tenner, properly, or I don't know where it's going, and I don't, I'm not seeing any results from this. Like, very rarely would someone say, "Oh, hi, I saw that feature in a magazine. That's why I came to you." So I could never really see if there was a benefit to spending money on those sort of things. So I haven't done that in like two or three years. Do you have you noticed if you feel differently about money since you started your own business and deciding how you work and when you work and what you're producing? Do you feel like you value money in a different way? Yeah, I've always had a, a bit of an uncomfortable um, relationship with money. I think I, I knew from early on, early, early on in the womb. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> you're so old now. I'm so old, old man. <laughs> um, no, I, I knew that I would. I knew that rich wouldn't make me happy because growing up when we were in Norfolk, we moved there. Um, our house was a shambles for years, and we were so happy. My pa- actually. Apparently, mum wasn't happy. She really hated moving to Norfolk. But my dad was happy. And me and my sister were happy. And I, we didn't have much. And oh, now I do sound like an old man. But it was before <laughs> mobile phones and the internet. Like, <laughs> so it was just walking around in the fields and stuff. And and luckily, I... It's did. true. We did that. Yeah, we luckily, had no in, friends. We used to play in ditches. <laughs> absolutely loved it. And so I, I don't think my parents actively brought us up to not want objects and to and to appreciate experiences i think we were also spoiled we definitely were me and my sister had we didn't really want for anything but we also didn't have too many things so my point being we loved our pets didn't we i think our pets yeah we had a lot of animals yeah my um for some reason my parents just decided to get a bunch of weird animals that (laughs) We had goats, peacocks, with chickens roaming through the house. We I had, used to love coming to your house. Yeah, loads of ducks um, until the fox killed them all. Yeah, so I loved that period of, of childhood. But it's funny because you can look back and you were happy, but maybe your parents were miserable or had no money or were like close to bankruptcy, but you didn't know that. Anyway, my point being, relationship to money. Well, once again, like I'm, yeah, I'm at a point where I'm just incredibly lucky to not have to worry about it too much. You know, I don't... Like I say, I earn just enough, but I've also purposefully made changes where my outgoings are less. You know, I know I could have a nicer house, I could have a better car, I could buy more expensive clothes and all that sort of stuff, but it doesn't give me any joy, those things. Well, a nice house does. And so I don't want excess because it's just going to sit, it's either going to sit in a bank or you're going to just spend it pointlessly or you can give it away, that's nice. But so therefore, yes, I... I think about money differently and I think about what I'm spending it on. So when I do buy other products, I'm much more careful now. But I also have the luxury of time to be able to do that. Not everybody can be, has the time to choose or or even go, you know, go physically to shops um, anymore. Yeah, suddenly starting to get dead legs. <laughs> my, <laughs> Should we I, take a little break? Yeah, I can't feel my feet. It's not cold, but um, I think I'm sitting on a little tuft. Yeah, have a little, little um, tuft of feather. So where do you think that your love of the outdoors is rooted? Like where where does it come from and how does it impact your work and your life now? I think it's probably a bit too simplified to say I grew up in rural Norfolk, therefore I like nature because I'm sure 
there's plenty of other people in the villages around us that absolutely hated it and couldn't wait to like move to London, for example. And I don't think my, my parents certainly didn't push upon me, you know, the natural world is beautiful, you need to take care of it. But I just instinctively loved being outdoors. I loved being in the garden. We had a really exciting garden full of trees and like little nooks and crannies. And bugs and animals were my friends, literally, because I didn't, <laughs> didn't have friends and I didn't play football. So um, <laughs> I just really loved exploring. Lo- I think that was it more, more than just looking at nature or appreciating what it is, literally how it's formed. I just loved exploring and getting lost and, and the changes of the day. And where we were was really, really flat. So Norfolk to find any sort of hill would be fun or a bit of forest. But even the flatness is stunning, like in September and harvest time, for example. But like I said earlier, when you're a kid, you don't, you're just living. You don't know at the time that this is informing you or inspiring you or putting you on a path. So I, I wasn't thinking, oh, you know, one day I'm going to look back and be like, September was beautiful. Look at the combine harvester kicking up all that dust. So it makes sense to me now that that's why I've returned to somewhere more rural but I could equally have you know done that and then hated it and when I went to uni I certainly left Norfolk thinking I don't want to ever go back to somewhere rural I'm looking forward to going to a city for some culture and some life but it just didn't satisfy me as much in the long term (laughs) yeah oh it also just came from we didn't you know when I was a kid we didn't have big fancy holidays we went to we started going to scotland once once a once a year in the summer my dad made a kitchen for a house up there and then they said if ever you want to come up here and stay in the house you can and it was a holiday home so that was our we stayed in this house in in perthshire in scotland and i just absolutely loved it so from the age of like seven onwards that was our that was a holiday exploring the rivers and the glens and the loch and it's still my favorite place to go i absolutely love it what do you love about it it's hard to detach it from memory so it's definitely a place that's just full of joy and home videos and we'd have family friends come up and it was i mean ruth your sister came up one year and so i'd bring bring friends and it was just pure pure joy absolutely absolutely loved it and and all weathers um and now i love it because i'm learning more about folklore and history and and what this land is and that it's not wild it's not when you look around and you're like oh the nature of it scotland's so heavily managed and manipulated over centuries and there's so much sadness and and abuse of the land and the people so I, now now that's what i love is learning about the intricacies of those two things the natural world and and even now we're looking down on edale valley and like this is not a natural landscape it's heavily artificial and farmed and managed but it doesn't mean it's not beautiful but it's it's really now at this age of my life I, I love knowing more about that being able to see the shift in light on a hill and walls and understand a bit more about why it's the way it is it's not just a beautiful view it's I understand why that's formed and and also I love geology and I love knowing about things like glaciation and erosion so looking over at the land the landslip underneath back tour and and why the north side of a hill is traditionally more of a a sheer drop or a cliff because of literally because of ice and where it doesn't melt and things like that I just love it and I could just ramble on forever about this stuff I think you've always loved that I remember always loved yeah I remember when you were younger as well you used to always be fascinated you were always fascinated by the world and I didn't know I think that's why Scotland was exciting because I'd never really been to mountains before seeing the stuff from textbooks so I loved geography at school and I loved knowing about 
you know, river valleys, oxbow lakes and hanging hanging waterfalls and um, all that stuff and corries and actually seeing them in person and being on the top of a mountain and looking down into a corrie lake and being like, wow, this was once full of ice and that's why that's why it's this shape. I just love it and still do. And here, in the, I, I thought coming to the peaks, I wouldn't be that inspired or interested because I thought it wouldn't be, I thought the landscape wouldn't be giving me indicators like that. But it is, it's subtle and it's, it's ancient here too because this used to be tropical seas here um and the stone is different and oh i'm just rambling but i love it (laughs) (laughs) do you feel excited like moving to what prompted you to move to sheffield why did you choose that city and Hmm. what's the reality of it i mean well really long story short then so obviously in the middle of a pandemic we were renting and then our landlady decided to sell the house and as soon as me and my partner were looking for a new house in Brighton, they just were not interested at all. Everything was really expensive. We knew every road. He'd been there almost as long as I'd been there, like over a decade, and just felt felt like we were done. So that so therefore, why Sheffield? Well, for me, it was more like where where can I where can I be where I'm close enough to nature to you know this pandemic is hit. We're all something's forcing us to shift our lives and I'm going to take this as an indicator that you need to put your money where your mouth is stop saying I love nature I love going for a walk because I was just going like once a year for like a week to Scotland as a little pilgrimage and that would be my thing and I'd survive off of that for the rest of the year but it wasn't never enough um so I I knew that we had to move somewhere that we were going to be near near hills and I didn't want to live in a village just yet so it's going to be a city and then it was kind of process of elimination in Sheffield. Once it got floated as an idea, just became really exciting. And then every every other thing I learned about it got more exciting. It's um, it's the perfect balance for us, and it's been a really really exciting year so far. It's been well less than a year, but it feels like it's been years already. How's it been in terms of moving into a new city and away from somewhere where perhaps you had you know friends and you felt quite established and you had a shop where people come mm. in and buy your products well I mean I'd left this is the fourth time I'd left Brighton which and I'd been there for like 15 years so I'd tentatively left and come back a few times but this so this but this time it felt like the final little cut like I was really cutting ties but in a good way like I feel like it's really important to to leave somewhere on good terms not Burnley bridges and by this point most of my friends, I only had one close friend, really, that still lived in Brighton. I had a few. That's awful. I love you all. <laughs> but, like, um, <laughs> most of my friends are scattered and had left Brighton. And I felt like one of the last outlayers to have, to have stayed. Um, so it's kind of easy. Plus, in the middle of the pandemic, you can't, we couldn't socialise. So I, had, I felt like, oh, I'm just seeing my friends online anyway. I'm no further from my family than I was before. And I've made more friends in the last six months than I made in years in Brighton. And I was in Portugal for a few years and I have, haven't stayed in contact with that many people, sadly. But it gets more difficult the older you get to meet new people. But I, I didn't feel particularly scared about moving here thinking, oh God, what about this incredible social network I've built up? Because I'm not, I'm not that guy. I'm not, people would never say, oh, thank God he's coming to the party. He just really <laughs> he lights it up. I would. <laughs> Maybe. I'd be more like, I'm glad we're having three people and he's one of them <laughs> for a tiny, <laughs> tiny dinner. So it's not, 
it was more a case of the familiarity. So I was thinking I'd been there so long that I knew the postie, you know, I knew everyone, everyone at the shop. Or, but that comes with a downside too, because then you're quite, it's quite claustrophobic. You can't, sometimes you want to walk five minutes without someone stopping you being like, hey, how are you? It's really exciting. Every time you move somewhere new, you bring a different energy with you. And I think it's quite attractive. It attracts energy back to you because you're giving off an inquisitiveness and people see that in you and they especially if you've moved somewhere and you like it and then you speak and you're chatting to people that are born and bred there and people are proud here in Yorkshire and Derbyshire so if you love it they love you and it's just like and I honestly do it's a fantastic place to be and I don't feel like a newbie I don't feel like I need to prove myself or I need to be here for a decade before I can say I'm this is where I am and belong it feels very natural that this is where we are now so for people who are listening um who think that your lifestyle sounds really nice you know this sort of balance that you have and you enjoy the work that you're doing and it's just it sounds really nice (laughs) so how like how did this all happen was it a case of right i'm just gonna take the leap and go into this maybe with a bit of support work in the first like couple of years what's actually gone on behind the scenes and how might that help other people who are approaching this new period of their lives I mean that's a really big we're gonna have to extend the podcast by an hour (laughs) it's like I've always been black sheep's not the right term because I'm definitely not that much of a pariah in my family at all but I always felt different and I I knew that I had a different trajectory. I think growing up gay in a little village, I knew my path was going to be a bit different. And I know, because you're, you're fed from an early age, you're going to get in a relationship with a woman, then you're going to get married, and you're going to have kids, and you're going to get a job. And all this path that you see the rest of your family doing, yet you know secretly that's not going to happen for you. And it is secret because it's all in your mind. So we can have a whole discussion about the, the detrimental effects of shame on a person anyway but my point being that I knew since since I was a kid that I'm not going to be doing the things that the people are going to be doing and so I'm going to have to try to figure out what I really love to do and how that'll make me happy and it took years and still takes years to sort of be content with it and when you find yourself doing when you find yourself in the minority and you've chosen to to take a different path there's less you know you find that you're not having as many chats with certain people because you're not you don't fit in and you've chosen and you've chosen that path partly so it, it can be difficult and it can be lonely but for me the the joy is tenfold because of that so when I when I do meet people who also have the same passions I'm like oh god kindred spirits I think oh this must be what it feels like to just be normal in inverted commas to be one of the crowd but I've always just really I kind of enjoyed not being part of the crowd yeah <laughs> in fact crowds give me real anxiety so I it might sound it might sound nice but it's my version of nice I I'm happy I enjoy the balance that I've got but it's not today's a good day as well like I feel really happy today I'm sure I might wake up tomorrow and I will actually be depressed it probably will ha- it happens and there are days where I have to force myself to go out for a walk somewhere like this and then because you much I'm I'm comfortable in my house I'm warm or I'm just sad that day well we didn't you didn't plan on me going down a mental health chat but that that's where it's gone but um I don't want people to hear me talk and think oh that just sounds great it's all just rosy because it takes yeah it takes a lot of work and energy to get to that point and to maintain it and to not 
do too much comparison i think it's really easy to compare yourself to others especially with social media and i really really try not to and i for the most part i don't but every now and then i'll slip into it and i'll go down a little spiral and have to check myself and be like that's really not healthy they're a completely different person with different experiences and don't just don't do that you can use it as motivation perhaps maybe you see someone doing something and you think oh that looks lovely i want to give that a go but don't yeah don't beat yourself up because you're not doing it or but the thing is i would that's what i used to do years ago and hence why making a change leaving my job going somewhere new because i knew i I needed a shift i really needed a shake um and so I i forced that to happen but it's really scary making that jump I feel like this might naturally lead on to another question. Yeah, I've, I've, <laughs> I've kind of got one sitting there. You do, I can see I'm it. I'm trying to bite it down. And <laughs> Go on, bite it. What is it? <laughs> <laughs> Why do you think it is that it can seem so hard to step out of the nine to five culture? Or even more than that, you know, like you said, these other kind of pressures on us from the general broader society why do you think we can feel that so strongly and why is it so hard to like get out of it why does it seem so big and so difficult oh dearie me because <laughs> it just no pressure uh, having i mean i've experienced it but it doesn't mean i can really put that into words and i'm not I've listened to countless other podcasts about people talk about these topics and I am like thinking that's so, so eloquent how you've worded that. Can I? But I'm not sure if I can. Why is it so difficult? It's just, it's obviously so much easier to be following everyone else and be doing what everyone else is doing. But I think we all just get to a breaking point. You can comfortably for maybe decades live a certain lifestyle and that is absolutely fine. But you might not be, you might not be fully resonating you know, I think it's self-preservation. I think it it doesn't, in retrospect, it doesn't seem like a choice. Like, I, so just before I started this job, working with leather, 2015 was a really dark year. Well, for, for me, you know, for other people, they'd be like, oh, absolute piece of cake, that, what are you talking about? That can't have been difficult. But I was so, so overwhelmed with stress and anxiety, um, that year for various factors that I just knew this isn't healthy like I was starting to go down a bit of a spiral thinking you just can't continue like this um so you have to change it and stop and I'd find myself speaking to people and repeating the same conversations like I I wish I was doing this or that's what I feel like I should be doing I'm just getting bored of a broken record so it was self-preservation it was thinking if you don't make this change you personally are just not gonna you're not gonna be happy and not just happy but you just can't no it's just not tenable other people would be absolutely fine with that level of stress like i was saying earlier they'd be just like a tiny little blip but i couldn't and i knew that i was getting older and i've always had a really fractious relationship with time and there's never enough of it and being afraid of death and i think experiencing quite a lot of death and grief being younger certainly shook me up into thinking when you, when you people always say when you lose someone really close to you, it may, puts your life into perspective, and you're like, live life to the full, do every day. That's you maybe feel like that for a week, but I think I had a really hard come down from from grief of realizing it didn't it, that experience didn't shake me up in a way that I thought it was initially. So that sounds really elusive. My dad 
passed away. You know that. And it was absolutely horrible. And shortly afterwards, thinking, oh, this is going to, this will force me to to, to do something different. And take, But it didn't. I've, for a while afterwards, I just continued along the same sort of path, the same bad habits. And then I think, like, aftershocks years later came through. And it was like, oh, you wasted a bit of time there. I also found, like, a fairly good motivation is having someone that you love not around anymore. You can then ask yourself... Would they be proud of me? Would they? What would they be thinking right now? And that's a bit of a kick up the arse. And that part, a part of it too. So self-preservation and also trying to make somebody proud beyond the grave, which is ridiculous. But I think people do it. And I still do that all the time, actually. I think, would he, would he approve of this decision? And I have my own, then, to completely contradict myself, I have my own issues with patriarchy and that pressure that it puts upon you that you must you must satisfy the desires of your your father and stuff anyway but um i think i'm doing the right job yeah (laughs) you feel like you're going towards a a, a positive direction yeah i'm and i've always thought it's always been really important to me that you do you do what makes you happy but not at the detriment of others so i've not walked over people to get to this point and i haven't been really ruthless or cut people out or done bad things so just just be honest with being honest with yourself and I don't want to go into tropes and cliches but um <laughs> they do apply a lot of the time do you feel like you have like particular values that you stand by and hold close within your business as well yeah I don't think I realize it I don't write them down unless I have to when you're doing like a website blurb and it always makes you feel a bit gross when you have to do stuff like that yeah, the basics being the the knowledge that you don't need to exist. No one no one needs your products. You know, I'm not making vaccines. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not producing first aid kits. Um so if you're gonna do what you're doing, make it last. Make it like there needs to be a point to it. Make it repairable. Be really honest with your customers about where where your products are from, where your materials are from and how it's made. Don't lie. Don't be a you know, don't be a I don't know how much I can curse on your podcast. No, you can. Oh, Go wild. All right, yeah. And bleep, 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 bleep. <laughs> um, so, and I think, once again, it sort of harks back to seeing my parents and what they did for a living when I was younger, my dad especially, and seeing the relationship he had, relationship he had with his customers. I really loved seeing that. I loved seeing the, the sort of inquiry phase at the beginning and then him making it and then installing a kitchen with a customer and then loving it and knowing all that I found that I didn't know at the time again but now I do I really liked seeing that but in terms of environmentalism which is a massive part of my life and my how I approach my work I have no idea whether that occurred to my my father I don't know whether he thought should I be using that wood what what forest has that come from is that harmful i know he wasn't using like rainforest you know hardwoods but still like i'm not that wasn't wow i've already gone off i don't, know what, <laughs> I don't even know what your question was <laughs> why well, i really don't but this happens to me a lot even at the dinner table like i'm like what were you saying it's natural what did you do yesterday i have no idea why am i even in this room <laughs> why have i got no shoes on <laughs> Yeah, I'm wearing no shoes. <laughs> yes, and no clothes at all. <laughs> What's happening? It's freezing up here. <laughs> um, 
I, again, I think because we've got this view in front of us. So I was seeing a train and I started thinking about something else. And I'm just seeing, yeah. Yeah, I, that, I think that's nice though. And it, uh, that's why I like to coach outside as well, because it's not as intense as like just sitting opposite each other mm-hmm. <laughs> in a cafe or something. You know, it's human nature, I think, for the mind to wander. We were talking about values. And and how you how you stand by those if you do, and how <laughs> I do I don't <laughs> I lie every step of the way. My manifesto is a complete farce. <laughs> um, yes, that was what that was your question. Thank you for bringing me back to it. It's remarkable because you don't have it written. You did have something written down, but you remembered it. My <laughs> um, yeah, they're quite they're quite basic ones, and because I started with them before I was making any money they've just it's continued so in a way like that was the seed at the beginning of my business and it's been watered and now it's grown into a plant not to be like too metaphorical but i think now um you know i'm gonna go full in on the metaphors if it was a plant and then it's a tree now every single new branch and leaf is also growing from that same point so there's nothing like bad that i need to chop off or be like oh that part of my business has gone all rotten because it all was all just me from the beginning and if I did ever get to a point and I have maybe oh shivering where mm, I'm shivering maybe too. I was doing something that felt maybe it was like a partnership with a company or something or a material I thought oh, I don't that feels a bit icky I don't actually know where that was made or I don't like that shop or that person I think your business morals are really dubious didn't I mean kind of nice I can say no bye I'm not gonna not gonna work with you or I think that was one of the th- one of the many motivating factors of leaving a nine-to-five job where you're in a hierarchy was suddenly our our company, little-ish independent company, got bought by a huge company, like the biggest in Europe for that industry. And suddenly you're, you're having to do things and sell things that you really don't agree with, push films, push storylines, push whatever products for the bottom line. And the amount of waste that our business produced, I hated it. Um, but you couldn't complain and you couldn't be honest because you'd get sacked. Or, and I would see also just the, the inequity of the fact that I was in a managerial position and the mistakes I might make wouldn't get me fired. But tiny little mistakes at front of our staff on minimum wage, they get fired immediately. And I hated that. And I'd pipe up about it, but then nothing gets done. And I think, oh, this is just one company among many, and I really can't be part of this anymore. So if I start my own, then it's going to be just me. Because what if I grow too fast and I get rotten, as most people seem to do when they get older? Sorry, older listeners, but like, <laughs> it seems to be a trajectory. The older you, like, you get older and things happen, and you just sort of let things slip. And before you know it, that's where you are, and you kid yourself and your head's in the sand and the more down that road you get the more stubborn you become and you sort of really dig your heels in and that's a whole other conversation about how you can have conversations with people that don't agree with you i had anyway listen to some really good stuff this week about that how do you have those tough conversations we'll talk about that later (laughs) (laughs) sorry invisible audience (laughs) (laughs) no this is i mean it's it's really I'm, I really appreciate you sharing or giving at least, you know, some picture of of your story. And I know that it is challenging to summarise all the parts of that and all the all of the emotions that go with that into, let's say, about an hour. Mm-hmm. 
but yeah I really appreciate how open how open you've been about what you've been through and you know how you've moved through that as well we're just a couple of friends chatting that happen to have microphones next to us. So I'm assuming yep. nothing that's, none of this is being recorded. That is true. <laughs> Let's not get um, over glamorous about this. <laughs> we're in a huge studio. <laughs> we're on <laughs> the kinder studio. Well, no, we're sitting on sheep shit. <laughs> no, we're hell. not. I kicked it out of the way. Did. Especially for you, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> so now it's your turn to ask a question to our listeners hello (laughs) (laughs) we've heard enough from you (laughs) no we haven't i would love to continue but let's turn the tables and thank you again for sharing and i hope that people will interact with you um afterwards and ask any further questions if they have any yeah come find me (laughs) um remotely online (laughs) (laughs) so what question would you ask somebody who is thinking about designing making and potentially selling their craft but perhaps they feel overwhelmed by all of the different aspects of setting up a small business yes it's hard to ask a question rather than give advice but I, I guess I would say other than the fact that you love what you're doing and you want to make things ask yourself what is what's unique about how you're approaching it what is it specific to you so you know traditionally in business terms people would say what's your usp what's your unique usp usp not usb what's your (laughs) unique selling point um and yeah that's kind of it like what why do you stand out and at first you might think i don't stand out from other businesses there's nothing unique but there will be there'll be something unique about you as a as a person maybe not your products you might not think there are but have a think about that because then that can really inform how it develops and that you can use that definitely as a real string to your bow because in terms of what i was saying earlier about comparison to others that's really overwhelming and you might think that you're just not going to be noticed and you probably won't for a while and that's okay and but what if you if there's a thing that you feel really passionate about within your business or even just part of your life it's absolute for me it's absolutely fine and i really love seeing other people talk about what it is that makes them tick beyond their work and actually you can but you can fold it in so oh you said this earlier don't <laughs> so the question has turned into like a little bit of advice the question just being <laughs> hey, think about what it is that's unique to you and how that can be the driving force behind your business wonderful Thank you so much, John. Thanks, Sarah. <laughs> Shall we... Um... Bye! <laughs> Have some tea and biscuits. Yeah. Eat our sandwiches really quickly because yeah. we've both got a vaccine to get to. <laughs> we do. Booster! <laughs> Thank you for listening. There are links to John's work in the show notes. Please visit aboutTheAdventure.com for more episodes or to get in touch with me.